of the first New Testament church in Jerusalem. Today we're going to spring forward in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 11. We're going to read together in just a moment verses 19 through 26 as we think today about a 21st century Antioch. So today we're moving from the Jerusalem church, which is the first generation church, to really the second generation church. Very first church planted that day in Jerusalem of Pentecost, and then several months later, the second church in the New Testament, the church at Antioch in 11 verses 19 through 26. Let's listen to the Word of God. The Bible says, Now in those days were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with purpose of heart. They should continue in the Lord. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Lord, thank you one more time for the giving of your word. Father, we are eternally grateful that we have a perfect revelation in Scripture of yourself. Thank you, Father, that you tell us exactly who you are, what we need to know about you, and what you expect of us, not only individually, but corporately, as a church. And I just pray in these days, Lord, you would continue to work among us so that, Father, we would be exactly who you want us to be, not what we want to be. Father, not be a church left to human imagination, but be a church that is motivated by what motivates you and guided by your Holy Spirit. Lord, Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our lives to receive and to act upon your word. I pray and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 21st century Antioch. Let me tell you this morning that that's who I hope we are. And I hope that's the journey we're on to become more and more not only like the Jerusalem church in exhibiting the six purposes that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, 
but I hope we will become very much like Antioch and be a 21st century version of that great New Testament church. So let's go back to where we left off. For two weeks, we looked at six purposes that are clearly identified in the first New Testament church there at Jerusalem. And you'll recall with me that when we arrived at the last verse of that passage in Acts chapter 2, Luke, the gospel writer, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, tells us that the Lord continued to add daily to the church. And so everything's great. You have this huge 3,000-member New Testament church birthed at Antioch, and the Lord every day, each day, continues to add people to the church because His Holy Spirit was moving and they were responding to the gospel. And so everything is just right. You have a beautiful church that is not beleaguered with problems, right? Don't think that for a moment. You need to understand that Satan has fought against the Lord's church since day one. I think a lot of times we think that the modern church is the only church that has felt the blows dealt by Satan. That's just not true. The Bible's very clear. You know, one of the things that I appreciate most about Scripture is that it is just an open and honest look at how God works in the lives of people. Have you ever noticed that? You see the great heroes of our faith, not only at their best, but oftentimes at their worst. And even God's greatest work on planet earth, the work through His church, God doesn't pull any punches. You see things going really well, and then you see the church walk through difficulties. So there again, in Acts chapter 2, great growing church exhibiting God's six purposes for the church. And then by the time you get to Acts chapter 4, you have a church that's under the devil's attack. He first of all attacks the church from the outside. Remember, Peter and John had gone through the grounds of the temple, and there at the beautiful gate of the temple, God did a miraculous thing, and He raised up that lame man, and they did just what any Baptist preachers would do. They started right there, and they preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. People didn't like it. Peter and John, key leaders in the Jerusalem church, apostles, are arrested. They're arrested for doing exactly what God called them and asked them to do. Church problem number one. Satan attacks the church from the outside. And then it's not long after that till you see that Satan starts uh, changing up his strategy because not only is he content in attacking the church from the outside, but he also begins to work on the inside of the church. I want you to listen to this closely. We have to always be on guard because even as born-again, baptized people, members of the Lord's church, we can allow the devil to use us. And so he did it right there 
in the very first church in Jerusalem. He attacked the church from the outside. Peter and John are arrested. And the next problem identified in the book of Acts is that you have this Ananias and Sapphira incident. And they're lying to the church and lying to the Holy Spirit. And God killed them. That's sobering, isn't it? Now, I know we live in an expanded day of God's grace and God, thanks be to Him, is a little more patient because He's delivered the complete revelation of Scripture and that changes a lot of things. But listen, folks, we need to always be on guard and never allow Satan to use us to do his dirty work on the inside of the church. Ananias and Sapphira. And then by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, as I mentioned before, you've got two groups of widows in the church, and the people who were the extended family members and friends of those groups of widows, they begin to feud and fuss between themselves. And so all of a sudden, you've got this wonderful first-generation church that becomes a divided church. I told you before, when you get two groups of widows in the church fussing and feuding, you've got real problems on your hands. So there you have the Hebrew widows and the Hellenist widows. Uh, The Hellenists feel like that those widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of the food. You have seven leaders that are called up in the church. Uh, Most New Testament scholars identify that to be the birth of deacon ministry in the church. So these leaders are called up because the apostles didn't have time to do everything. Remember what we talked about before. The Jerusalem church did not look like Bible Baptist church. They didn't have a facility like this. They were meeting in groups all over the city of Jerusalem. The apostles were having to go from group to group to group to teach and preach that vast congregation of people. So there were leaders, servant leaders, the deacons who were called forth to remedy that problem in the church. So I want you to see this. Satan attacks the church from the outside. Peter and John arrested. Satan attacks the church from the inside, the Ananias and Sapphira incident. Satan attacks the church from the inside, the division of those two groups. And this is just like an attack sandwich. When Satan saw that attacking the church from the inside wasn't working any better than attacking the church from the outside, he reverted his attack back to the outside. And so you you find this story where Stephen one of those great men of God in the early church is arrested because of preaching the gospel, but not only is he arrested, you find the martyrdom of Stephen. And Scripture says that standing there watching it all was Saul who was at that time persecutor of the church. And that takes us up to the story that I want us to see in in Acts chapter 11 and following today, because of the persecution that was falling on the church in Jerusalem, 
God uses that. I appreciate Miss Debbie's song this morning because, you know, God works through all the events of our lives, good events and difficult events. If you've lived a little while, you know that to be the truth. God works in your life when you're on the mountain. God also works in your life when you're on the valley. And aren't we thankful this morning that God's able and powerful enough to use anything that we go through in life to our good and His glory. And so there you have it. The church in Jerusalem is being attacked. God uses that to get the church to really spring forward in its missionary efforts. And so the people of God began to spread out of Jerusalem. You know that this morning. It was never God's intention for the church to just stay in Jerusalem. But remember Jesus' last words on earth were simply these, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then literally all over the world. So that was always God's intention. And so he uses persecution to get the church to spread out. And as they spread out, the first place of significant influence for the church was this place up in what we would call modern-day Turkey, up in Antioch. And there the disciples went. People were saved, brought into the church, and God builds a great church in Antioch. Let me just say this this morning. When you study the book of Acts and all of Scripture and you see these New Testament first century churches identified, there is not a greater church in the New Testament than the church at Antioch. We need to learn as a 21st century church how to be a 21st century Antioch. Because Times are different, methodologies have to change, but the message never changes. And we're going to find principles this morning and next week about the Antioch church that we want to to learn and allow them to gravitate very deep into our hearts so that we become a 21st century Antioch. So there's the church God is doing great and marvelous things in the church as the people of God had spread out. And and the first thing I want you to identify with me about the Antioch church is that it was an innovative church. So if we're going to be a 21st century Antioch, we must innovate to advance the gospel. Now let me say what I said just a moment ago. That does not mean that we innovate on the message. I want to make this as plain as I can possibly make it. The message of the cross, the message of the gospel, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints is an unchanging message. The same message that saved our souls as we heard it, and God the Holy Spirit began to work on our hearts and bring us 
to confront the gospel and we placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that same message is still the message that will save souls today. So that message never changes. The doctrine of the church. Again, as Jude identified it, that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, that's doctrine that is unchanging. Now why is the message, why is the doctrine of the church unchanging? I'll tell you why it is, because we have an unchanging, immutable Word. God's Word does not change. Jesus said, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So the message, the doctrine of the church never changes. But listen to me, church. We have to become innovative, I'll spit it out in a moment, with our methods. And that's what happened at Antioch. They innovated to advance the gospel. I want to identify with you three things that were firsts at the church at Antioch. I want you to see that, first of all, they were so innovative that there at Antioch you find preachers who shared the gospel with the Gentile world. And beloved, I know that can just kind of fly over our heads this morning and we can listen to that and think that it's insignificant. But most of us in the room, I don't know everybody's pedigree in the room, but most of us are Gentiles. We are non-Jews. Most of us in the room come from some type of European descent. That's who we are. And so we better be thankful that somebody in the first century of the church heard the message and heard the compelling call of the Lord Jesus to take the gospel from one continent to the next and to begin to preach to people who were not Jews. Let me say this very quickly this morning. God is not finished with the Jewish people. This isn't an eschatological message on end time events. We'll get to some of that in the future. But listen, God will continue to work on His chosen people. And we don't replace them. But according to Scripture, as the New Testament church, as believers, as Christians, we are grafted in and it was always God's intention for the gospel to be international. So there in Antioch, I want you to see this. Scripture tells us that there were, in verse 20, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Now that term Hellenists, you could insert the term Gentile there. It's what it means. Hellenists is a broader term that talks about uh, Gentiles who had adopted a Greek lifestyle, and also some Jews who had adopted a Greek lifestyle. But the purpose of what God is saying here is that there were these men in Antioch who began to be innovative with the gospel to get it to people who hadn't yet heard. 
our goal, our mission as a New Testament church is to get the gospel to people who have not heard it. And I know that it's so easy to say, well, Alan, in in Rockcastle County, Kentucky, everybody has heard the gospel. You're wrong. It's easy to say in South Kentucky, we're, we're in that southern Bible belt and everybody knows about Jesus. Everybody has access to the Scripture. Everybody has the same opportunities that we do to get to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I say to you, if that's what you think, you are very, very wrong. We're living in a culture that every day is becoming more and more post-Christian. What you're thinking about, and going back sometimes decades ago, and a lot of times the culture that we really think we live in is just not the culture anymore. And I'll say to you this week what I said to you the last couple of weeks. Our concern does not need to be as much about us as it is about them. We're here. We're reached. We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. But I'm telling you this morning, there are people all around us that if they were to die today, they'd go straight to a place called hell. We don't like to talk about hell much these days, and frankly, there are a lot of Bible teachers and preachers that won't even mention it, but I will tell you this morning that Jesus warned of hell more than He promised heaven. And just know it today, people without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are on their way to a Christless eternity in a place called hell. We need to believe in hell again. I'll tell you this, if there's no hell to shun and no heaven to gain, we might as well close our Bibles, lay them aside, and move on and have a big social club. But people are going to hell. Hellenists, Gentiles, were on their way to hell. And so here at Antioch, you find these preachers of the gospel who were not content for the Jews just to hear. But they were only content to share the gospel widely, not only to the Jewish people, but also to the Gentile world. Innovation number one at Antioch. I want you to see this next one. The believers there at Antioch were so well known for speaking of the Christ. Watch this. They were the first ones to be called Christian. Don't miss it. Are you a Christian today? You got your name at Antioch. That's where it started. Believers in Jesus were not called Christian until this great movement, this great advancement of the gospel and discipleship at Antioch. And here's what I want you to see. You know, it's kind of a good term. For the most part, to be called a believer, to be called a Christian. But for the citizens of Antioch, it it was not a good term. It was a term of of derision. 
In other words, here's what happened. (laughs) This group, this church at Antioch was so sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ that everything they did, everywhere they went, their lives were just saying all they could say about the Christ. These people, when they went to work, they were talking about Jesus. When they went to entertainment events in the community, they were talking about Jesus. When they met with their family members, they were talking about the Christ. And so the people there at Antioch, I want you to see this. It's not that there was this business meeting in the church at Antioch where some great leader in the church raised his hand and said, I make a motion that from this point forward, we call ourselves Christian. Second, second. All in favor, raise your hand. And they raised their hands and decided that they would be called Christian. That's not the way it worked. The church did not decide that they were going to be called Christian. The world around them looked at them, measured up their lifestyles, heard their conversation. And this is what they said, these people are nuts. Are you a nut today? Amen. Sometimes I feel like a nut. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not trying to be silly about Scripture. That's what's happening here. The community around them, here's what they're saying, these people are obsessed with this man, Jesus Christ. May that be our prayer today? Would that just be a tremendous thing for the cause of the kingdom and the expansion of the church right here in our region of Kentucky, if people were to start assessing our lives and looking at us and say, all they can think about, all they can talk about is Jesus. And I'm not talking about being so heavenly minded that you're not any earthly good. That's not what I'm saying this morning. But if Jesus changed you, if Jesus saved your soul, if Jesus turned your life around, if Jesus is taking you to heaven, is He not worth your adoration? Is He not worth your lifestyle? Is He not worth your conversation? It was unusual in Antioch. They hadn't seen anything like it. And I just believe that our culture around us today, they need to see more of it. People that not only say they're Christians, not people who say, call me a Christian, but people who live for the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that the community says, those people are Christian. That's what we ought to want at Bible Baptist Church. Not for people to say they have great facilities or they have great music or they have great anything else. We want people to say they have a great Savior. And when that happens, believe it or not, you're becoming innovative. Because I see a lot of church and I see a lot of Christians who want to talk about being saved, who want to talk about following Christ, 
But frankly, they don't put their money where their mouth is. And we're living in a day when I think if you stand up and you really live your life for the Lord, you make a difference because not everybody's doing it anymore. The disciples were first called Christian at Antioch. The third thing I want you to see about their innovation is that they're the first church to send out an intentional team of missionaries to take the message of Jesus Christ to other places. You see, that's that's something that as Baptists, we're missionary people. That's what we do. We believe the Great Commission. We believe the great plan of advancing the gospel to the four corners of the world. And we've been brought up in that. Those of us who have grown up in Baptist churches, that's been instilled in us to be missionary people. And so sometimes I think we just sort of take that for granted. But I want you to see at Antioch, they were innovative. They took seriously the Great Commission. And if you look in... Acts chapter 13, verses 2 through 3. Notice what the Bible says. And they ministered, or as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them, they sent them away. Don't miss the wonder of this. This is the first missionary journey. God says, take the best that you have. Take Barnabas and Saul, set them apart, and send them to other places to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. They innovated for the sake of the gospel. Well, we're not going to get to point two, so this sermon's going to expand for another week or two. This is a good place for us to land the plane today. What I mean when I talk of innovation, let me be very clear about that. What is innovation? The bottom line is, It's doing what hasn't been done before. Well, that's the technical definition. But I want to take it and I want to expand it just a little bit so so that we understand it. Some of us look at that word and we just say, I ain't innovative. I know it's I'm not innovative but you might say it that way. I I am not an innovative person. We'll join the club. Not many people are. Not many people are the first people to do something. Not many are. But the good news is this. We can expand that definition just a little bit, and we can put it like this when we think about the church. It's doing what you haven't done before. 
doing what you haven't done before in order to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to just think about that. I want, I want you to leave thinking about that this morning. What have I done to advance the cause of Christ? What have I done in this part of our state that would get people to look and say, you know what, that that man, that woman, that boy or girl, he or she really is a Christian. What have I done to make the gospel known? And methodologically, here's the thing, church. Our hearts have got to be supple in the Lord's hands. And we have to say, we've got to go where we've not gone. And we have to do what we've not done before because they are dying. They are headed to hell. But before they get there, they are like ships without sails. And we have the answer. What do we need to do different that we've not done before to reach more people for Jesus Christ? What do we need to do that's not being done right here in this community right now so that people get saved and that people end up right up there and the people take the next steps and the next steps and they too become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are we going to be selfish and are we going to say you know what I like us pretty happy with the way that we are is the way we are reaching our potential for Jesus. And if not, we have to ask the question, methodologically, what do we need to be open to to reach these people who are dying? Innovation. Mine and Amy's son, Andrew, was, uh, the way he put things was remarkable. When he was six years old and I had left the church that I was pastoring in Lexington and took the denominational row with Kentucky Baptist Convention, Andrew was hearing, you know, KBC this and KBC that. And a lady in our church up there asked him, so Andrew... Uh, what what about your dad? What about this decision? Are you happy with it? He said, I don't know. <laughs> he said, you know, dad's quit preaching. He's not going to be a pastor anymore, and he's gone to work for the KGB. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't work for the KGB. <laughs> but a little later, uh, I remember that Andrew... 
and his girlfriend at the time went with me one Sunday morning to a church where I was preaching. And Andrew had grown up all of his life with this, you know, singing from the screen. And he had seen screen. That's, that was his whole church experience. And we were sitting there together, and the guy walks up to the pulpit and says, Now open up your hymnal and turn to page 125. And Andrew looked over at me and said, What's a hymnal? I said, It's this, and it's got the songs that this church sings right here in this book with the notes and everything. And he whispered to me again, He said, Dad, our church needs to get those. (laughs) Innovation. Doing something a little bit different. Not changing the gospel. Never, ever, ever. Not changing the faith that's once for all delivered to the saints. But being open and saying, God... The white flag of my life is hoisted high and I just say to you that it's not about me anymore. So God, do what you need to do. Give me a heart that's broken for the families right here in our community that don't have the hope that I have. God, pull me, make me bigger, make my heart more open than it's ever been before so that I'm ready to innovate. I'm ready to say it's not my will, but Lord, it's your will. Create in me, God, an Antioch heart. 21st century Antioch. I don't really know what that means, but we'll figure it out. And I'll tell you this, I'm never about any kind of change for the sake of change. And you guys know I'm not a bull in a china shop. That's not my style. That's not who I've ever been as a leader. But I know this, time is short. Culture is dark. People are dying. We got to get busy. Lord, make me innovative for the gospel. Would you stand with me and bow your heads? Father God, thank you that we have an opportunity now to Respond to your word. Lord, help us to be people that are never selfish. So break us, Lord. Stretch our hearts, God. Help us to be people that are just like putty in your hands. God, help us to have an unwavering commitment to the gospel, an unwavering commitment to biblical doctrine, an unwavering commitment 
to seeing souls saved and those who are saved discipled. But God, just give us an openness to being whoever you need us to be. Within the confines of your word, of course. But being who we need to be. So that there could be an Antioch kind of movement right here in this community. Father, if there's somebody here today that needs to respond to the gospel of Jesus, may he or she come. Father, if there's somebody today that that has a closed, calloused, cold heart, they just need to come and allow you to move and work in that heart. I pray, Father, those people would come. God, mold us, make us into a 21st century Antioch. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.